We take a single episode of a science fiction TV series and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. This is the Fusion Patrol Podcast. Welcome to the discussion. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm Ben. And tonight we're looking at the Doom Watch episode... You killed Toby Wren. There might be spoilers in that title. Um, so before I go into the, the recap of this episode, it's important to note that this is the season two, episode one. Season one, the final episode, ended on a cliffhanger. Unfortunately, that episode doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. You can't watch it. Um, so if you, like me, come into this episode and watch this episode, your experience is based entirely upon what happens in this episode, referring to events that have happened in the previous episode. Okay, I didn't know so, that. So I'm going to offer you the choice to decide how we do this, Ben. I tracked down references and information from the script from the final episode of the previous season, which was, um, I can't think of the name. It's not Survival You're going code. to kill Yes, Toby Survival Ryan. Code. Oh, survival I, I, code. I thought I was going to be like, you're going to kill Toby Wren. And I, I have a synopsis here, if you would like to hear that, before we do the synopsis of this episode. Oh, I'll sure, why not? Okay, because you can't watch this episode. So, uh, But I found that it actually kind of changed my interpretation of this story oh. when I watched it. So that that's kind of weird, but I'll, I'll try to... <clears throat> we'll do them both. So Survival Code and You Killed Toby Wren. An RAF bomber crashes into the sea with three nuclear warheads aboard. Per protocol, the Cabinet, the Ministry of Defense, and Doomwatch are notified. The next morning, a young man, Jeff, snares something in the sea. At first, he and his wife, Tony, think it's an old mine, and she wants to call the authorities, but instead, they call her father, Sam, who knows a mine when he sees a mine, and that's no mine. Instead, they try to salvage it for parts to repair the machines in his arcade. None of them know what the nuclear hazard symbol on the device is. The search efforts are conflicted. Air Commodore Parks assures Quist that modern nuclear weapons cannot go off because of the fail-safes, and that they know where the plane must be, and they'll have it safely recovered in no time. Quist is concerned that they may be damaged, even leaking radiation. Ridge and Wren have joined the wait in the operations room. Wren is terrified, but Ridge is seeing that Quist is overreacting. His guilt at creating the atomic bomb means that every death, every accident, every incident plays on his conscience, and he doesn't have perspective. The bomb didn't land at sea. It landed in Quist's head. Despite Quist's concerns about radiation and even a conventional explosion, the minister, on Air Commodore Park's advice, refuses to issue any warnings to the ships or coastal locations. Quist has recently been lionized in the newspaper as the people's champion, something Quist is unaware of, but Parks sees it as Quist being on an unreasoning quest for personal glory and justification, reinforcing his view that Quist is overstating the problem. Back at the pier, Jeff tries to get, get the machine working by applying some electrical current to it, and then the numbers on the clock start to count down. They redouble their efforts to tear the device apart, while Tony is terrified and thinks they should call the police. 
Quist and Ridge are coming to loggerheads. Ridge also believes Quist is overacting, but not because Quist is aggrandizing himself, but because of the guilt he feels. Parks watches as the men have a heated argument. Quist leaves. Jeff is coming down with radiation poisoning, although they don't know that. Tony, seeing the newspaper article on Quist, the people's champion, decides to call him without telling her husband. That night, Quist calls in Ridge and Wren and sends them down to see what has been brought up on the pier. Both men are skeptical and are met with resistance at the pier and unable to see the device. Meanwhile, Parks notifies the minister that the warheads have scattered and that they've only found two of the three. On the pier, Jeff and Sam attempt to dispose of the evidence and push the device into the sea through a trap door on the pier, but the device lodges underneath in the timbers. When Doomwatch returns, Toby must lower himself by a rope to inspect the device. Quist confirms it's a one megaton hydrogen bomb, but it probably won't explode. Until Toby describes the damage. Now, Quist is worried about the 32 kilos of high explosives in the detonator going off, scattering radiation along the coast. Ren becomes insensate with fear and has to be hauled up. They call Parks, and he'll have a team there in 45 minutes. Unfortunately, Quist calculates they have 25 minutes. Parks has sent the police to clear the pier, but Quist disobeys orders knowing that they do not have time and they must defuse the bomb. Quist goes down to defuse it. With seven minutes left, he slips, falls, and breaks his arm badly and has to be pulled back, but he refuses to leave the pier. Ren must go down and overcome his terror to defuse the bomb. The bomb squad have yet to arrive. I'm going to stop that there. The story goes on, but we see the next of it in, in the rest of it in this week's episode, which is You Killed Toby Wren, which goes a bit like this. Our story opens on a tense scene. Toby Wren is suspended beneath a pier, attempting to defuse a ticking nuclear bomb while Quist and Ridge watch nervously from a shack at the other end of the pier. With 60 seconds to go, the bomb disposal boys arrive, but it's too late. Wren has successfully defused the detonation charge. Or has he? There's one more wire, and he has dropped his cutters into the sea. When the estimated detonation time passes without a boom, Quist is overjoyed for all of about five seconds until the explosion goes off, killing Ren and the bomb squad. It is at least only a conventional explosion, and the nuclear fuel had been dropped into the sea. The minister's overjoyed. Quist has been a pain in his butt since the beginning, and now he can finally get rid of him over his mishandling of this situation. Now there will be a tribunal, after which he'll be able to get rid of Quist once and for all. Back at Doomwatch, things aren't happy. Ridge is very much about blaming Quist for Toby's death, and he is openly hostile to him. He's completely out of sorts and barely has had time to put the mash on Barbara Mason, Miss Honeyset's replacement. Miss Honeyset fell ill after the death of Toby and returned to Yorkshire. Miss Mason has arrived at a very bad time at Doomwatch. A man called Hardcastle is trying to reach Quist, but instead bumps into Ridge at a pub. He tells him that he needs Doomwatch to stop the work of his former mentor, Professor Haland, preferably without exposing and ruining the man in the public eye. He is doing genetic hybrid research and has created chickens with human heads. Ridge is called to the minister, where he sounds out Ridge on being the new head of Doomwatch. Not the old Doomwatch. An exciting new Doomwatch with more power, more staff, more exciting stuff to do. It just relies on Quist being gone. The words are never spoken. The minister is relying on Ridge to crucify Quist at the tribunal. Ridge returns to try to tell Quist what happens, but Hardcastle is in a meeting with him. And when Ridge discovers that Quist is strangely dismissive of an intervention on Hardcastle's request, Ridge goes on another righteous rant. 
prompting Quiss to fire him on the spot. The minister's permanent undersecretary isn't entirely against Quiss and sends him to speak with a psychologist to get a report on his mental health for the tribunal. At the session, Quist confronts his guilt over the development of the atomic bomb, the death of his wife, who also worked and died on the Manhattan Project. Ridge, however, has decided that he has the moral high ground and needs to shut down Highland's hybrid abomination and uses his magic penis powers to seduce Dr. Lennox, an associate of Hayland into getting an opportunity to see what's happening at the facility. Inside, he sees both a chicken and a monkey with a human head and is disgusted. He threatens to shut all the animal experiments down, but Lennox calls him out and shocks him further by revealing that they don't need the animal hybrids anymore. They've got willing human women helping them out, including herself, and she's already pregnant with a hybrid. If their night of passion had been three months earlier, Ridge could have been the father to one of those hybrids. This shuts him down completely, but honestly, I'm not sure why. At the tribunal, Ridge gives testimony. His testimony isn't unfavorable to Quist. He praises the man as having the most amazing brain and warns the tribunal's science expert that Quist will cut him to ribbons. Ridge says, while he argued against Quist's actions at the time, in retrospect, he sees Quist was right all along. Later, Quist does cut the science expert to ribbons. Not only is Quist cleared of the, at the tribunal, but he also gets a date with a psychologist. Proper date, not another therapy session. Oh, you killed Toby Wren. <clears throat> um, I just say, when I watched the episode, and I did go in cold. I did too. And, and I watched it, I really wanted to know what it was that Quist had done wrong or that seemed like Quist was doing wrong in the first episode that got them into this. Because there's that line in the opening uh, scene that we do have where when the bomb goes off, Parks says to him, when will you people learn to keep your noses out of this right. stuff? Or something right. like that. As if something to do with the fact that Quist was defusing the bomb is what led it to kill those people. But based on what happened in the, the script of the prior episode, I don't see that Quist did anything wrong. I don't either. I, and I'm, I'm, I'm really kind of glad that you brought some of this up because I watched this really closely and I find myself very puzzled by some of the turns that the story took. I mean, I'm not entirely surprised by Quist's guilt. Uh, I'm not at the le I'm not the least bit surprised by Ridge's reaction initially, but there are some turns that I find to be completely uh, out of character. I suppose maybe not out of character, but just certainly unexpected. Uh, and, and Ridge is being the biggest of them all. Something happens when he's at that lab uh, when uh, the doctor she calls him out. She refers to him as a hypocrite. And just mm -hmm. and the only thing that I could think of is maybe for a moment he was seeing uh, some of Quist in himself in some way or another. But I, I that's but even then I really couldn't quite connect the dots. Yeah, it was it was um, it was a bit strange. I mean, Ridge is definitely on uh, on his high horse in this episode, and you know even and I don't get it. I, 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 you know, even from just, if you only even watch the episode 
as it stands, the, the existing episode, Toby's under there trying to defuse a ticking bomb. And the bomb squad guys don't show up until 90, 60 to 90 seconds before the bomb is due to go off. Mm-hmm. If they had waited for this bomb squad, they would have had an explosion. Yes, no one would have died except maybe the bomb squad because nobody would have been on the pier. So there's that. But, you know, one of the things that Toby had to do, and it, it probably isn't as clear in, in the, the recap that I wrote. I mentioned it, but it probably isn't clear. One of the things that he does is he uh, disconnects the atomic material and lets the, it's in a case, it's, it's encased, and lets that drop into the ocean. Mm-hmm. So when the detonator goes off, it is just an explosion. It's yeah, but only Toby knows material. that. No one else does, obviously. No, I think Quist knew. I think I think they're they're kind of talking him through it, and I think they knew that. It's hard to tell from the. From I couldn't. I, I I couldn't determine that. Well, yeah, you couldn't tell after the fact, but you know he and the way that Quist goes, well, not nuclear. Which you're right, that does actually sound like he wasn't a hundred percent sure. But so Toby did do something good because if they had waited for the bomb squad guys, when the bomb squad guys got there, it would have detonated and it would have scattered the fuel. It probably the fail safes would have present, prevented it from going nuclear, supposedly, right? But but it still would have scattered the radiation along. It would have been like a dirty bomb on the coast, right? And they they even refer to some incident that occurred in England a few years earlier with a, a dropped atomic bomb that that somehow scattered radiation. Um, so you know you're kind of watching this episode. Go, what did Quist do? Did he intentionally not call the bomb squad soon enough, or did he keep it a secret? Or no, he didn't. He was trying to get them to take it seriously the whole time. And yes, perhaps when somebody called him down and they didn't know what it was, this isn't clear, he sent Ridge and Wren instead of calling Parks on the phone right away and saying, there could be a bomb at the pier. Maybe mm-hmm. that? But, but you know, there's a lot of faffing about that I that I didn't really go into. For example, um, uh, when they go to the pier, the, the guy who's found the bomb is apparently a bit of a dodgy character. He runs an arcade on the pier with his wife. He's he's been in prison. He's afraid that they're gonna they're trying to put him away. He's afraid they're the cops trying to put him away. So they stonewall. You know, they're not letting you come in. You're you know you don't got a warrant. Uh, so they don't get anywhere. So there's a lot of time delayed while they have to go back and and they come back and you know and those guys are now frantically trying to get rid of the parts by disassembling it. And when they can't do that, then they open a trap door and they push it out. That's how it gets lodged underneath the, mm. underneath the pier. It doesn't fall into the sea. It gets, gets stuck, which in a way is kind of hilarious. I mean, that, that is, I, that's a cool piece of writing. <laughs> mm. I like that part. It's like, oh, that makes it a real pain in the rear to have to work on. Um, but, you know, uh, all of that seems to me like when they were sure it was the bomb, Quist called. And I was like, here it is. And they said, we'll get the bomb squad there. And and after they called, that's when the Toby, you know, using an inspection mirror, sees that the clock is ticking down. And they find out the guy tried to tried to jumpstart it with a car battery, which, you know, that's... <laughs> yeah, that's a brilliant idea. Wow. Science 101. I really want to see that scene. <laughs> well, again, they don't... There's a nuclear symbol on it, but they don't know what it is. Um, so, you know, they just see a sign and they think, oh, it's probably some... I forgot what they said in the script, but it was, you know, something benign, like a, a, a branding mark or something like that. So it was it was very uh, real. But, you know, it, there are missing episodes, uh, other mi- missing episodes of uh, Doomwatch. And I, I kind of wonder, but this seems like this is the first episode 
where they really grappled with Quist's guilt. It's been there. It's been simmering. It's been, you know, part of his character. It's been mentioned. But this is where it's really his nightmare coming true. The thing he created is now potentially going to kill people. Mm -hmm. And so he is apparently quite agitated over this. And, you know, in a way it does sound like he might be overreacting a little bit, perhaps in the way he's dealing with people. Uh, but we've seen that before, where Quist really gets on a, uh, like in the, the episode with the Sonic thing, where they're just like, you got to get out of here because we can't take you anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? But, um, yeah, yeah, I, I really wish that other piece of this was existed um to to see it because these two pieces really belong together they do it's very hard and and maybe i mean you know a synopsis can only tell so much maybe by actually watching it maybe we could get some real clues as to why there are some unusual character developments uh, you know, character directional changes you know that take place in this one because it again i kept thinking I'm, I'm missing something. Well, yeah, I am missing something. It's the previous episode. Mm-hmm. But, and I didn't know that at the time when I watched it. But just watching this today, I kept thinking, I, I really feel like I'm missing some vital clue. Because I, I watched it very carefully uh, from the first moment that Ridge is being interviewed. You know, it's not the tribunal. It's, you know, like ju- he's just having a little... Uh, chat with yeah, i guess yeah yeah and the minister. and, and it, it was the minister and it sounded he ridge came off as very negative towards towards quist and then mm-hmm. to just do this about face and actually be supportive of everything that quist had done was very much um again the only thing i can think of is that maybe there was something in that argument that Ridge had at that lab that made him think, okay, I'm not looking at this situation correctly now. I'm not looking at, you know, maybe I need to see this through Quist's point of view. Uh, you know, take the guilt, you know, you know, guilt notwithstanding, try to look at this from Quist's perspective and say, okay, this is why I need to take these actions. You know, because like one of the things they say, you know, well, it, you know, it wasn't, you know, they had all this, you know, it, it, it wasn't going to go up. Well, we didn't know that at the time, kind of. Mm-hmm kind of thinking. Uh, I mean, it's really easy to play armchair quarterback, which that one physicist on the tribunal was doing. So the only thing I can come back with is maybe whatever, you know, horrible things that one doctor said to to Ridge made him stop and say, okay, maybe I need to put perspective on how I'm looking at Quist. That's the only only place I I can come to with all of that. Yeah. Um, So... Well, I guess let's let's concentrate on Ridge, and I, I guess we can we can look at the we can look at the the monkey chicken oh story. My God. <laughs> um, so Ridge is intentionally trying to irritate Quist. He's brought in a picture of Toby oh, yeah. and stuck it to the wall. He's he's being a uh, jerk. Yeah, he's he's wearing his top top notch hippie clothes. I don't know if that's would really irritate Quist, but you know, I mean, he's, he's really kind of adopted a, a, an attitude and it's showing in everything he does. And, and it hurts Quist, you know, Quist, Quist is hurt too. He's not being callous about this. He does feel guilt over killing Toby Wren, right? He is, he completely oh, he, believes oh, it's he's bothering responsible him. for it. Totally Absolutely. it's bothering him. And the fact that Ridge is needling about it just makes it worse. Mm-hmm. 
There's no doubt about that. And Ridge is being a callous. <clears throat> I'll, I'll use a word that was in the first uh, script. A bastard. Yeah. Uh, Ridge calls him that at one, or uh, Quist calls him that at one point when he brings up his dead wife. Because basically he's saying, you know, you're, you're, you're suffering the guilt of the people that got killed with the bomb. And your wife, who was basically, sounds like she was killed by in making the bomb. Not by an explosion, but maybe radiation or something. I didn't really get that out of it. But, you know, it's he's guilty about that, too. So it's all rolled up in that thing. And when, when Ridge brings that one up, the two of them really slap on each other. Mm-hmm. So they, they've, they've been hot for the, the whole time. Um, Ridge clearly thinks, and, and we saw this in the, the one uh, Red Skies. Red Skies, I think that's it. Uh, Ridge clearly thinks the work is important, too. Yeah. You know, that's, that's important. The work is important. And it's more important that Doomwatch continues. That's why he wanted to put Quist in a home when it looked like he was having a stroke or something. Uh, because he also knew that Quist is a figurehead and that if Quist collapses, Doomwatch probably collapses. We, we know that from last season, that, that he has that kind of, you know, the minister would like to get rid of Quist, and when Quist's gone, Doomwatch is gone, and this important work is gone, and he's about the work. So now the minister brings him in. He's pissed off at pissed off at Quist. The minister brings him in, and instead of saying, hey, we're going to get rid of Quist, and we're going to get rid of your nuisance department, he's saying, hey, we're going to get rid of Quist, and we're going to make your department even better and more amazing and put you in charge of it. And how does that sound? You scratch my back, I scratch your back. And and suddenly Ridge is like, you know something? I can do this job. I mm-hmm. There's no reason that Quist has to be yeah, doing stuff. I true. can do this job. That, that which kind of uh, justifies his barging into the lab. Yep, because Quist fired him. Yeah. Quist out and out fired him. And yet he oh, he got the sack. And, doesn't. He's, and he's doing the Doom Watch thing and his credentials and stuff because he's basically saying, you know, Quist is not in a position to fire me. I am... I'm Doomwatch now. And I think that's it. I think it's the ego. I think he realized when he was there on his rant and he was talking about blaspheming against science, which, oh, boy, that is a phrase that rankles my shorts because science is not a thing you can blaspheme, right? It, it, yeah, he's treating it like it's some sort of a religion. Yeah. And 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 when he was already in conflict with Quist about this because Quist is like, yeah, I don't think we really need to do anything about that. And he's like, why would you not be against chickens with human heads? It's a terrible thing. But is it a terrible thing? And I think that's, I think that's part of the, I think that's part of the equation here. It's like, there are people who really think this is important research for the purposes of fighting diseases and organ transplants and rejections and saving lives. And... There are people who think it's so important that they themselves are willing to undergo it and be test subjects in this. And I think he just finally blew up to the point where he realized that his his ego went over the top. Mm-hmm. And and if we want to tie that back to Quist, there is an argument that says maybe the people working on the bombs' egos got the better of them too. That we can do this thing. Yeah, we're you know we're going to write a letter to the president and say. Don't ever use it as a bomb, though. I mean, we're just doing the thing because it's a deterrent. <laughs> and and their egos got caught up in, in how important they were in what they were doing. So, and, and what they were saying and what they thought that they could influence policy. So maybe, maybe that's what he's seeing. Um, it, it really did shut him down in a way that I kind of like, eh, I wish, I wish they'd explained that a little more clearly. Mm, yeah. 
but you know, I think it I think it vented his anger out enough that he could then sit down and 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 like us say what could Quist have done? It doesn't matter what his motivation was. It doesn't matter, you know, that he disobeyed orders. It matters that Quist was the man with more information than Air Commodore Parks or the police chief right. or or anyone else. Quist was the only guy there that could sum up the risk and make a judgment call. Yeah, and... I, I, I agree. The only thing that I, I think I would have liked would have been something in the narrative that would explain. Uh, I mean, I, I, I mean we, we both came to the same conclusion, but when watching a show, um, it's nice to kind of be given uh, some kind of an indicator that this is what's going on. Because mm-hmm. I because I end up spending um, an excessive amount of time trying to figure out why Ridge had made this sudden change, as opposed to just watching it and enjoying the episode for its own sake. Yeah, and I don't think any of that is in the first episode. I think it's all here in this episode, and you just have to kind of read between the out. lines. But it's, but it's just not. It, it it isn't quite clear. And I and I I don't know. I I I agree that it when I watched it, I'm just like. He took a gut punch there. She took the air out of him completely. Oh, com- and, totally. You know, earlier in the episode, uh, when they're at the pub with uh, Hardcastle, I think it's Hardcastle, um, he's, Ridge is in a foul mood and had a few, and, and he's, you know, kind of needling at the guy a bit about uh, this whole hybridization, the sexy time stuff that they do and eventually we finally get around to sex that that the way that they do this is they take an egg from a female and they implant the genetic material that they wish Mm -hmm. to hybridize with in the egg right and they put it back in the chicken and then they let the chickens do what chickens do naturally and then you know that's the point where you you get the hybrid so it's not like maybe now we would be thinking that somebody would take a fertilized egg or something and tweak the dna this is this is a a more primitive process than than perhaps what we would do now and it it does raise a fascinating question with me and i get to it but you know what the gut punch that he took was when the dr lennox told him that she was already pregnant with a hybrid but that you know if we'd been having sex last if last night had been three months ago you'd have been the dad Mm -hmm. i really want to know if the guy who got her pregnant knows that's a great question because wow <laughs> oh look i gave birth to chicken boy i i i uh you know they, we don't go into that but but that's that's the punch that's the punch ridge took in the gut there was what if what if he had been you know, did the guy who impregnated her know? Did he would if they told him? Will they ever tell him? Will he even know that she got pregnant, or was he a volunteer? It's like yes, I'll impregnate a woman who's got a hybrid egg in her body, and and I'll give birth to a child. And wow, what are the ethical implications of you? I mean, it's bad enough that mom's willing to have a hybrid child, mm-hmm. which. Uh, <laughs> I love an ethicist to take a look at that, but then what about dad? I mean, what what what's his? Uh, you know, are we are we so far back into the I'm a man, fire and forget pregnancy's your problem that we don't have to worry about it hmm. kind of era that it's like, eh, whatever, you you go do you, lady. I want nothing to do with it. And then yeah. off he goes and never has a problem with paternity issues. It sounds like uh, something that, you know, what's the phrase I'm looking for? Uh, just just a, a sign of the times, of those times. 
Yeah, because uh, you know, free love and and obviously right. John Ridge is is part of that thing, and uh, I really don't know what the. I mean, I I think you know based on what you see now that in those times what happened is that uh, a lot of women did get pregnant, although in those days you know that was the beginning of the birth control uh, pill, which was part of the sexual revolution. But for those that didn't use the pill, there were a lot of coat hanger abortions going on. Oh please, yeah. And um, because they weren't going to get the support or whatever they needed or didn't want the child, you know, whatever their justification was, that's fine. But, you know, so a a guy may be completely oblivious to that. And ethically, I think that's wrong, too. They may not even allow these children to come to term. You know, they, they may have been... Using them to experiment on early stage fetal development. Yeah, it's true. It's a. I I I think that the writers were being very slack here. Uh, I think this one truly is science fiction. I don't think that could have happened at that time. No. I think that would have been stopped. And that they were using this as an extrapolation of, well, you read this in the paper, they could be just producing chickens with human heads and babies with four arms and, and, and doing that to. Because it's it's really Ridge is right. It's really revolting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it yeah. is. <laughs> you know, it may have completely and absolutely legitimate research purposes, and it could save hundreds, if not thousands, of lives if we do it. But just from that gut reaction, yeah, just it, just from looking it is, at it, it is it is disgusting. Yeah, I mean, we don't know that chicken may have been happy. It might have been. You know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Who knows? I'm, I mean, uh, I can eat the, twice as much food. Well, and the gut reaction is, yeah, the gut reaction is that animal might be suffering. Well, we don't know that. And also keep in mind that at that time, uh, there were no really strong regulations um, against animal testing. It was a very common practice that went way into the 80s into, and even in the 90s. And I think it's still going on today. Yes, to some degree. Yes, absolutely. Um, I don't. I don't think we're making human. Uh, we're not making hybrids. No, but the the idea of humanely treating animals is still uh, in the you know philosophically at the forefront. Uh, I mean, I don't want to get all PETA on us, but there. I could go for a PETA right now. Yeah, I could too. Uh, but we're looking at this from a. a, a, a uh, current, you know, 21st century sort of perspective. And that being, we know better than to mistreat animals. So we see that and we think, oh, they're immediately being mistreated. Well, yeah, it looks like it. But as you just pointed out, maybe that chicken is perfectly happy and we don't know it. And it, it, I mean, it, assuming a chicken can be happy, I mean, that's, there's another question for you. I mean, well, yeah, I, exactly. You know, but, it's a bird brain. It, yeah, exa- but but yeah. is it but a bird brain? It, Does it have a human brain in there? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, the brain the size of a pea. Um, but is is the animal suffering is the real question. If the animal isn't suffering, then okay, where's the harm? I mean, it's it's in a cage. You know, that's no different than, uh, than, than the, the chickens that... Are are raised for human consumption. No difference there. They're probably suffering more. Yeah, they might to be fair. Well, that's why I like to do free range eggs, you know, and free range chickens. But that's another subject for another time. But and you're right. Time. <laughs> yeah, breakfast time. Sorry, but but you're right. I mean, it's very possible that the uh, the majority of the chickens that uh, that that go to slaughter for us to eat, you know, many of them are suffering a lot worse than what we saw in this episode. So. 
there's a lot of projecting that's going on on our part, clearly on Ridge's part. Tons yeah. of projecting that's going on there. Um, and I, I think it really, it's that cold water of reality, you know, when they realize, you know, that, okay, they're done with the whole Animan testing. Now it's all about Manimal. Gee, wasn't there a series about that? Um, Simon oh, hey, Corkendale. This is how it got started. <laughs> she's, I, giving know, I, bir- she's giving birth to Manimal. Here's one of the here's one of the things I think is interesting about this is that in previous episodes of Doomwatch that we've seen, all of these things that they're doing, the problem is is that they're doing it. It's either well, I wouldn't even go so far as to say it's a bad idea, but some of them are bad ideas. But even the good ideas are done without proper oversight. This chicken thing, maybe it is being done with proper oversight because Quist is not too bothered by it and doesn't sound like he's concerned. I don't know if that's because he's distracted with his other stuff or whether or not he's, you know, familiar enough with the situation to go that this is this is not this is not something that Doomwatch has to step in and stop. This is this is valid research and it may be unpleasant, but that's it's not our job to stop unpleasant research. It's our job to look out for dangerous research and this is not dangerous research. And uh, you know, so it's uh, it, it's you know, he, he's taking... It's almost like this one's an okay one. This is the first thing we've looked at on Doomwatch. That's okay. Yeah, he's this, giving it a pass. You, you're getting a pass. And I would have been so much happier if the special effects on the chicken would have been... would You know, could have been so much better. Like, with a person's head and a little beard talking to him or something. It was like... But, you know, I don't think when you make a hybrid that you're going to have an extra head stuck on the back. So that was, that was just not what I was expecting. I was no. expecting a chicken with a, you know, with a human... I Maybe would not a full size head, but, but something but close. You know, like a, almost almost a chicken body size head stuck on the front of that that chicken. Yeah, you know, like and, some of the um, things you see at those uh, you know, ridiculous sideshows at the county fair. Yeah, and and I would have liked to have seen a monkey that didn't keep his back to us, so we couldn't see what his. Face yeah, that was a cheap shot, but oh well. That was a cheap one. It's like, oh, I see, he's a balding monkey, so he's got a human head over there. Um, <laughs> oh. I got a laugh out of it though. I mean, the chicken. I got. I got a genuine laugh when I saw it. I'm just like, ha, ha, that's not what I was expecting when we were going to see this. I didn't get a laugh, but it, I did say, okay, not what I was expecting. No, no. So, uh, all right. Let's see. What else have I got here? One, one, another thing I thought was interesting. Switching to the main theory, the main storyline. Uh, when Quist is talking with the psychologist, there is a very I'm, out. I'm not saying it doesn't exist now, but I mean, there's a very in-the-past description of why what Quist did with the bomb was a good thing, not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, sure, you killed hundreds of thousands of people, but you saved millions of you people. You stopped a war. You ended a war, you saved countless lives. You know, what you did was good. The people you killed, it was good that you did that. <clears throat> That's... Not a. I can't completely disagree with that no, argument. No, I can't. But it's I not quite nuanced the way I would want. No, it's, it's still a bad thing. It's it's, it's just, it is it is. It's she's uh, taking the whole the ends justify the means argument, and kinda, that yeah. is really that that's a black and white approach. And something like this is not a black and white issue. This is this has just got a lot of gray. I mean, I I. I can see the, the the value that came from developing a weapon. I don't want to say the bomb, 
But I will say I can see the value in creating a weapon that was able to completely stop the war. But the idea at the same time of all these people that got killed as a result of it, uh, certainly um, it, it, it sours the victory a little bit, if you want to call it that. And I, and I think, if I recall correctly, when we firebombed cities in Japan, the death tolls were higher. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's not it's not about the about the death, but it's not about the death. It's it's about the the amount of death you can do so quickly to such a large area so easily. Mm-hmm. And you know, you're wow. Gonna try to justify this, but you know, you you're already in a shooting war, which arguably you didn't even start. Correct. I mean, you know. How did we start wars? Well, it's not about who fired the first shot. It's about your policies back and forth and things. And it's a complicated issue. But but I'm going to say, generally speaking, the Axis powers started the wars. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. Okay. You know, I'll put the blame on them for moving it into the shoot and war range. And when you're in that position, it, it's extremely difficult to say, well, we're just going to put down our weapons and stop this fight because... Obviously, that's it's not peace; it's losing. See Battlestar Galactica, <laughs> right? Mm. I mean, you lay down arms in the middle of an uh, an armed aggression, you will be aggressed upon. So they're fighting back, and so now we we ask ourselves: handgun kills people, machine gun kills more people, tank and mortar more people, mm-hmm. planes, bombs, aircraft carriers—they're all just this. You know, it, it's part of that fight. And then you get to the atomic bomb. Mm-hmm. Why is that? Why did that cross a line that that firebombing Tokyo didn't with, with more casualties? I it, It's psychological, isn't it? It, it is psychological. Yes, you're, you're totally right. It is psychological. I think it merely overshadowed it. Uh, that's so that's it, all. I, I think it was... I, I, I simply think it, it was an overshadowing. Also, I think there was... I mean, and we have to, yeah, the firebombing, you know, that's, that was you know, awful uh, with the number of people that it, it killed, but nothing compares to the sight of the A-bomb for its day. Right. The, when that thing goes off, I mean, that is an explosion of a magnitude that nobody saw coming. Right. And, and I think, yeah. I, I, and again, you know, we were talking earlier about gut punch reactions. That's a gut punch reaction, seeing that thing go off, because I've... Uh, heard accounts from people who have witnessed testings. Um, I used to work at the lab back in Livermore, California, and um, uh, Teller was uh, director emeritus there. And he talks about you know, the, the horror of the bomb. He's it, it, it still gives him nightmares. I mean, he's the quist mm-hmm. of uh, in, in in today's world, or at least he was you know was when he was alive. Uh, so I think. Witnessing what it can do in one fell swoop—that's that. Yeah, it, it it is psychological. We do have certain rationalizations, certain areas. I said, okay, we'll allow this, but we'll not allow this. You know, and th- that that's where the gray areas get very, very fuzzy. I think. I I have always kind of thought that there was a a component of when you reach the point where you're fiddling around with the atoms. You are treading beyond where God was meant you to go. You know that you're tampering with your fundamental with forces, forces that you're not. Yeah, that you weren't supposed to. That that that's you know that's 
more than just blowing a bunch of people up. We kill people all the time, but now you're you're fundamentally changing the structure of the universe in a, in a way, and that it, it, it does kind of have this sort of man wasn't supposed to go there. Just like Frankenstein, man wasn't supposed to bring something back to life. Mm. You know, life and death are the realms of God. And, and Frankenstein is just like fire for the Prometheus. That was the realms of the God. Right. You know, it, it's, it's that. And I, and I think that's the, I think that's part of it. I'm not 100% sure of it, but I've always just kind of had that feeling that, that it has that same, it, it has that same barrier that man was never meant to cross kind of thing. And it is, I mean, the, the equation, just the equation, E equals MC squared, uh, the, 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 the implications of that and what happens when you start, you know, breaking down matter, it, it does, it, it, it boggles my mind. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's obviously, yes, it, it's proven fact and, and science. And it's just like it, that, you know, when you, this is like quantum physics, it, it, it starts to not, your brain just doesn't want to process that because it doesn't it it's, doesn't relate it, to the way the world you know if i cut if i cut a sandwich in half <clears throat> you have two parts <laughs> yeah right there are equal parts you put the two parts back the mass is all the same you split an atom and suddenly <clears throat> mass and energy all go wanky on you and it it yeah it it, it just doesn't have an analog in the mind anyway so I, well the bomb it's bad people Say no to nuclear bombs. Yeah. <laughs> Although say yes to nuclear power because it's it's a good thing actually. Um, but uh, <clears throat> if you use it right, anyway. <laughs> Let's see. What else have we got here? I don't think we've ever. Well, so we've got this. The minister. We got the minister back from the earlier parts of season one. I don't know if he's the minister that was in at the end of this, but we were wondering if that was. In the the one with the battery people, if the new minister was replacing that guy, but now yeah. this guy's back, or was that a different minister? I, I I'm confused now. I, uh, I can't be sure now that you said that. So, um, but we get to see his permanent secretary for the first time, and apparently he's not as down on Quist. Because um, at one point he warns the minister, you know, his bark is less than his bite. Yeah, which. Uh, and it also is the one that sends him to the psychologist and uh, it won't take his resignation, mm-hmm. you know, because if your resignation is a confession of guilt, I won't take that. And uh, so he's, he's clearly does support him um, at some level, which I, I really, gosh, I, I really like to believe that. I, so my understanding of British civil service is the permanent secretary is basically the highest level career hired for their skills or their resume person in the ministry they're they're kind of the person who actually runs it at the direction of the minister who is appointed and may have absolutely no qualifications of any kind Mm. to you know that's a political position the permanent secretary the permanent undersecretary secretary undersecretary permanent we'll call permanent secretary is you know the civil service and so he's not against Quist. I, I like to think that the actual civil service is buying there and going, yeah, no, actually the work that Doomwatch is doing is a good thing um, for the public and for the people. And the minister is, of course, all he cares about is what's good for his re-election chances. Right. So, um, we get the scene where he asks Quist what's, you know, what, what he got out of, I think, his 
experiences with the bomb and his feelings. And he said, you know, what I what I came out of it feeling was that not science, not technology, not policies, religion, there is nothing sacred except life. And that distills Quist down. Yeah. He's about saving lives. Yeah. Which may be why he's not so bothered by the chicken experiment. Because it's... It's not... It, there's... It does not so appear to, to save lives. It is. Yeah. And we're not seeing lives being threatened at that very moment. I mean, okay, so you got these these hybrids going on, but they're still animals. They're not people yeah. yet. Just chop them up and fry them and have them later. I mean, they're, they're, it's not like it's not like you're making rats that are going out and killing babies. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there is that one, but but that was different. Right, that was that was a uh, that was irresponsible use of a highly rapid breeding animal that you. It's I mean it's a he's it, kind of different. Um, he sees a psychologist. They have some obviously it's the 1970s. Frank talked about him having sex. Um, apparently Quist doesn't get any. Fair enough. He's a little too dedicated to his job. Yeah. Um, I think the last thing that I have down here is wow, is that minister a and we're gonna say it again a two faced bastard? Oh, he is. He is right at the end of that episode. It's like, oh man, how are you? You got a drink, Chris. Congratulations! Kissy, kissy all of a sudden. It's like, ooh, I, I, I could not help but think, you know, Chris has even before the scene played out. I kept thinking, Chris has got to have this guy's number. He's got well, yeah, and and so I guess I mean we've always known that the minister sees Quist as a thorn in his side. I mean we we've seen that in earlier episodes. Quist is being a pain. In the rear, and and I think you know he would be happy if Quist perhaps was not a pain thorn in his side. But I think it's it's one of the most it's one of the opening scenes of the episode where he is you know wringing his hands with glee and monologuing to the permanent secretary about how oh, all he it needs is, is he's going to take him down. All he needs is a cat <clears throat> on his lap to be petting. I mean, my God! And now you've got and you have Blofeld. So that is the most over-the-top we see of that minister that we have seen, anyway, in the existing episode, where he is absolutely, this is it, I've got Quist in my sights, I'm going to take him down, he is out, I'm done with his pest, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to, frankly, pull dirty tricks to get rid of him at this point. Mm-hmm. Because bringing Ridge in and buttering him up like that, or trying to butter him up like that, is a dirty trick. He knows Ridge is mad at him, he knows the two have had a bit of a falling out at some level, and... And I think he's lying to him. I don't think there will be a new Doom Watch. No. Bigger, better, more exciting secretaries. You know, I I genuinely don't believe that when he's telling that to Ridge. But it does seem to go straight to Ridge's head because that's what Ridge wants. He wants he wants Doom Watch to be more staffed, more work, more important stuff. So yeah, he is uh he is uh all the way through this one. Mm-hmm. Do you have anything? No, we pretty much covered everything that I took notes on. I, I really was surprised at this episode. You know, I, I knew a little bit about it. Okay, when I say I went in cold, I went in cold not knowing what had transpired in the first episode. I the missing episode. I did know that Toby Wren was dead, and I did know that Toby Wren had been blown up defusing a nuclear bomb. Mm-hmm. I, I, I was aware of that going into this episode. I knew that from years ago. I I think there was like a I don't know, documentary called The Cult of Doom Watch that I saw years ago. And, you know, obviously that's one of those pivotal moments that, that they talk about. And so I knew that you, know, you see the title, You Kill Toby Wren, obviously Toby Wren is dead. I am surprised that they were able to pull enough out of an episode that was basically about a tribunal and about the fallout from that 
adding a little bit of the hybrid chicken in there to, to kind of grease the wheels and make it, yes, it's this Doom watch still. Uh, I, I was shocked that there was so much in it, frankly. Mm-hmm. I thought it was going to be... I thought it was going to be an incredibly dull and disinteresting episode, and I and I didn't find it that way at all. A little confusing here and there, but but I I was it's better than a couple of the episodes we've seen in the past, and I was like, wow, all right, well, yay, Doom Watch, good job, you guys are still presenting us with interesting ideas to talk about. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't know what the next one is. As I recall, all of season two is. Uh, is existing so or if not virtually all of season two is existing. Uh, so. season two the next one is invasion yeah okay that's the one where the cybermans are coming down saint paul's Cathedral. yeah we got a number of doctor who episodes here web of fear yeah. web of fear um, yeah. public enemy or no or am i thinking of enemy of the world that's right um but yeah but we, we do have a web of fear so yeah there's some good doctor who we got coming up <laughs> all right well Ben, thank you for joining me. Oh, sure thing. And listeners, I do hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. Long live Toby Wren. You've been listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. Find out how you can be a sponsor and get early access to all episodes and more at patreon.com slash fusion patrol. Come join the conversation on Facebook or Twitter. All episodes are available at FusionPatrol.com. Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf. This has been a Lone Locust production.